0: 2020 was a wild ride in the stock market. The Dow Jones and S&P 500 saw the worst first quarter ever. March of 2020 was the most volatile month on record, and the Dow Jones ended the year at record highs. If you don't like the idea of riding this roller coaster as you head to and through retirement, we have got a great podcast for you. This is Retiring Today. I'm Molly Nelson here with Rochelle Smith and Lauren Merkel. Lauren is a certified financial planner and a certified financial fiduciary. Lauren, do you like roller coasters?
1: Oh, most definitely.
0: You're a roller coaster guy.
1: I'm a roller coaster guy. In fact, I grew up going to Cedar Point in Ohio, Sandusky, Ohio. And then my brother and I in college, we went there to work for a summer.
0: Okay, that's an interesting story.
1: It is the roller coaster Mecca. In the United New States. New
0: fun fact about Lauren Merkel he worked at Cedar Point. Mm-hmm. Okay, do you have like a roller coaster horror story? Like a day people got stuck? You had to scale the side of the roller coaster and go save <laughs> women and children and babies and men? Yeah,
1: and then- not so much. But <laughs> Cedar Point was always putting in these. New roller coasters. I mean, they were competing internationally with the fastest and the tallest, and that was really always their big thing. So uh, one year we were there, and they just put in this brand-new roller coaster, and it was a very short roller coaster. Basically, they, it went from zero to whatever, a million miles an hour within three seconds, and then it shot straight up ver- vertical, and then there was a little U that came down, and that was it. That was the roller coaster. So the whole thing was just ultimate speed, <laughs> straight-up vertical, and it, you go over the U, and they twist you up down uh in the u and then they come back down well it got stuck right up on top oh my right up oh. on top and i was sitting there watching this and people are just like i mean it's not it's not a pretty sight and i'm just panic. imagining myself being up there I, yeah and then it rolled back backwards, <laughs> so oh. Kind of backwards. oh my so goodness that gracious going straight up and then coming straight back down backwards oh. Oh.
0: rochelle are you a roller coaster person i am yes you'll ride right, them Yes, love them. Oh, uh, roller coasters are, for some, Amazing for others. I don't know. I'm somewhere in between. So I was thinking about my relationship to roller coasters in anticipation of our stock market roller coaster podcast. And for several years, I didn't ride. Somehow, every time we'd go, I was pregnant with kids, or there was a baby somebody needed to hold. Some kind of
1: an excuse. (laughs) So I got,
0: and that's exactly. And I was like, kind of like, this is why I got married because my husband rides the roller coasters. He swims in the pool with the kids. He gets the fishing poles, and I'm, you know, kind of got other things to tend to. Well, now our kids are all older. And I'm thinking I'll probably get stuck riding some roller coasters again. But it's been a while. So I maybe have a love-hate relationship with roller coasters. And today we want to talk about the roller coaster ride of the stock market. And we are talking about roller coasters. And I found some fun facts to get us started talking about. We'll get to the stock market in just a minute. But this this was maybe the funnest of the facts I found. Not funner.
1: Funnest. Funnest. That <laughs> sounded a little weird. That's a real thing. Oh, it's thing. the funnest of the facts I found.
0: Okay. Okay. Roller coasters were invented as a way to distract people from Satan's temptations. Now, this is from Smithsonian Magazine, right? Yeah. 14 (laughs) fun facts about roller coasters. Where's the fun coming? So, I guess it was kind of at the height of like saloons and brothels were popular. So... The person who kind of invented one of the first roller coasters wanted an alternative to some of these temptations and invented a roller coaster. Coney Island is kind of credited with one of the first having one of the first roller coasters. Uh, So there you go. Thrill (laughs) inducing. Another way to induce thrills. That's maybe a little less seedy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So when was the first accident? What what when was the first accident on the on this creation of roller coasters?
0: You know, that wasn't part of my research, (laughs) Merkel. One of the earliest roller coasters. No. One of the earliest roller coasters in America carried coal before it carried thrill seekers. I thought that was pretty interesting. That makes sense. You know this from your days at Cedar Point, roller coaster loops are never circular. They're oval shaped. Kind of a teardrop. Mm-hmm. It's never just a circle, according yep. to Smithsonian Magazine. We'll link this article in our, sh- our show notes. Riding the Big Thunder Mountain Railroad at Disney World could help dislodge kidney stones. Oh, there you go. <laughs> fascinating. That's a fascinating fact about <laughs> roller coasters. And, oh, they talk about the person that invented that chain, uh, you know, the yep. chain. That's the worst part, right, is going up.
1: You just hear the click, click. Click, 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 and you know. And
0: you know you can't get off, right? Have you ever thought about, like, oh yeah, could I stop it right now and
1: get off? Early on in the roller coaster days at Cedar Point, it, that's my thought. It's like, okay, I know I'm stuck, but what if? <laughs> what? I just want to get off. And then eventually you get used to it and it becomes a lot of fun.
0: That's right. The down part is pretty fun. And then what's over, that's the best part, back on land. So the <laughs> roller coaster ride of the stock market. Lauren, you saw it. I mean, you've been doing this for 20 years now. You saw it, what, in 2008, you saw it in the dot com burst, you saw it just last year, at least the volatility when we talk about a roller coaster ride. The stock market is an up and down machine.
1: Yeah, and everybody who invests or at least watches the stock market knows that it is up and down. We go through recessions on average every five years, we go through bear markets on average every couple years, market corrections on average every year. So, the ups and downs is a part of the market in fact that's what that's part of the appeal to the market is when the market goes up the market goes down there's opportunity in both of those events um, so this is not something that we need to be fearful of. This is not something that we have to look out for so much, as, but we do need to be pre- prepared. We need to be prepared for when the stock market goes up, when you, and we need specific action items that we can take when the market's going up to uh, take advantage of it. We need specific action items to take when the market goes down to take advantage of it. Those are what we call opportunities. And instead of uh, calling it a, a market decline, I prefer to call it a market discount because that that's exactly what it is. What everybody tells you as far as how to make money in the market is buy low, sell high. Sell high. Uh, But so many people forget that in the midst of the pain of a 2008 type scenario. In 2008, we didn't know how bad it was going to get. I mean, it was an 18 month uh, pain trip is really what it was and we, we didn't know if it was going to be 18 months we didn't know if it's going to be 24 months we didn't know how bad it was really going to get and what kind of pain we were going to go through and that's probably one of the worst parts about those types of events is is how bad is your account going to really, when's when's the end? When's the stop? Um, But really, if you have a plan in place, and especially, you know, right now we're talking to pre-retirees and retirees, if you have a plan in place and you create your portfolio to be recession resistant, to be 2008 type market experience resistant, then you don't have to endure all of that market pain. And then you can actually take advantage of those discounts when they come. And that's all a part of having that retirement plan and having that investment plan, a proactive approach to an investment plan as a part of your retirement plan.
0: I remember a discussion at the beginning of sort of the pandemic with my husband about, um, airline stock and airlines, you know, how low will that go? And will it bounce back? Will airlines ever bounce back? So you're look. so as a common investor, you might be watching a sp- some stock when something's happening in the world, what- whatever that could be, real estate. You know, we think of nine uh, eleven and what happened to real estate. So you're watching that as a common investor, and you're watching it go down, and you're watching it go down, and you're watching it go down. How do you know, you know, when that when to get in, when you know buy low, sell high? I mean, it seems so obvious. That's what you need to do. But how do you actually execute that as you're helping people build portfolios? Yeah. And
1: you don't always know exactly when to get in, when to get out or when to make this move, when when to make that move. And you're not looking to hit the exact bottom. You're not looking to hit the exact up. What you need is a cohesive plan that is going to be generally correct. Uh, You are going to be as an advisor, as a retirement planner, I am going to be wrong at times. That's just a part of it. Nobody gets it right every single time. So you need a contingency plan of what happens if I am wrong in this case? What happens if you are wrong in this case? Uh, first, you can't make uh, such wild bets that it's gonna destroy your plan if you are wrong because you will be wrong from time to time. So you cannot go so far out on the limb. When that limb cracks, when that limb breaks, you come falling down the 30 feet to a, to a roaring stop. Um, and that's all part of the plan as well. I mean, pre-retirees, they spend a lifetime saving their what they, the resources that they have, and now they need to live on those resources for the rest of their lifetime. So it's a matter of making sure that we take on enough risk that they can accomplish what it is that they're trying to accomplish, but we don't take on so much risk that when inevitably these recessions happen, they're going to bottom out like the market.
0: And do you find that if most of the accumulation phase someone was in, let's just say a 401k, the common employer-sponsored plan, a lot of that is, I think, correct me, <laughs> in the market. So they've been in the market a long time and they've seen their, their portfolio, the large part of their portfolio grow. Did they come to you and say, but I've done so well in the market, I want to stay in the market, and you have to go, yes, we can keep a portion, but here's why we don't want to ride the roller coaster of the of the stock market as you get closer to retirement.
1: Yeah, it's not necessarily market or not not market. There is a necessity for at least a piece of the portfolio in the market for most people most of the time, but there are cases where maybe you don't want to be in the market or you want 100% of your portfolio in some kind of market. It doesn't have to be all in the stock market. It can be in the bond market. It can be in an alternative market. It can be in the fixed market. There's a lot of different types of market, but what we all know is that you can can't have all of your eggs in one basket. You need to be diversified. So with as a part of your investment plan, construct a portfolio that you know what it is that you own. You know what it is that you own. There's a purpose behind what you own. So there's an intention behind it that you own this asset, this investment, for this reason. This is what it's going to accomplish for you in your overall retirement plan. Know what you own, know what you pay for that ownership, and then have a strategy, have an exit strategy. Because every investment, it's just it's just like uh, in 2020 or 2008, when your portfolio is down by 20, 30%, it's only down on paper. So unless you sell those investments, you're not realizing that loss and you ride that roller coaster up the next hill. But when the market is up, when you're on top of that hill, it's the same thing. You don't realize those profits unless you actually sell. Otherwise, those profits are just on paper. So whether we're in an up market or a down market, we need to have an exit strategy for these positions because not everything goes straight up. Most things don't go straight down. So that's how you really have a a proactive approach to your overall investment plan as a part of your retirement plan is you're purchasing this asset, you're purchasing this investment for this reason, here's what it's supposed to accomplish for you. And then when it accomplishes that, there's a constant evaluation of where are you at in that cycle, and then you can sell it. Whether it's up, it's down, and for, there's different reasons why you would do that.
0: And I think right now we're talking about the good and the bad of the stock market. Lauren, again, it is a great growth machine, and it's it should be viewed mostly as a long-term growth machine for most most investors.
1: Yeah, it definitely is. You want to get into the right investment for the right reason. The stock market, especially in today's environment, today's society, everybody, not everybody, a lot of people are trying to get in just to make a quick buck. Right, that's what we saw with GameStop. That's what we see at the AMC. Uh, we got a lot of these transactional traders who are looking to put all this money. I, it's funny. Uh, we're on this topic. It's actually not funny. It's a tragedy. I saw an article the other day where one of these uh, one of these traders realized about forty five thousand dollars of profit and had about five hundred thousand dollar tax gain. So about five hundred thousand dollars in taxes on a forty five thousand dollar um, capital gain or a $45,000 actual gain. Okay. So in these accounts, people are making these transactions have no real uh, understanding of what the repercussions are when they're making all of these transactions. And if you're selling or if you're buying and then selling within a 12 month period of time, that's a short term capital gain. If you make money on that transaction, which means you're paying ordinary income tax on that transaction. And if you're just looking at the, at the, Uh, AMC goes up $10 a share, and now I'm going to sell, take my profits. Well, you don't get all of that $10 per share because now you have to pay ordinary income tax on that transaction if you've you've made that transaction within a 12-month period of time. So there's a lot of unintended consequence of what we see with these transactional issues. Um, but there's also, you know, one of the things, and we see this in down markets, and we see it in up markets. Is, and re- really, right now we're seeing it because the market's near all-time highs. It feels like it's setting an all-time record every single week. And people, when you turn on the news, they're saying, "Okay, this this train has to come to a stop at some point. This is going to end. The roller coaster is going to get stuck, and it's going to come back backwards." Uh, so people are starting to go to cash. And what happens when people go to cash and especially in today's interest rate environment where in cash you're getting basically 0% is now what happens if the, if the, if the market doesn't come back down within a relatively quick period of time. And we see this in down markets, down markets like 2020 in in April is when a lot of people want to start going to cash. The market's down by 25, 30%. They And, and again, how much pain is there going to be? Nobody really knows. So they say, I've lost a lot, but if I go to cash, I know I'm not going to lose anymore. So in the down markets, the up markets, we see that same temptation of going to cash, but what does that provide for you? You go to cash in April of 2020, you're not riding the up that you would have otherwise received the entire rest of that year. You go to cash right now, and the market continues to climb. When do you get back in? And this is, you know, we saw this a lot in 2015. We saw this a lot in 2014, is we, 2008, we were five, six years off of that big recession. And people were starting to say, they turn on the news and they're saying, how far is this going to go? How far? Recessions happen on every average every five years. We're there. So a lot of people would go to cash. And then when did they get back in? 2016? 2017 was a good year. 2018 was a little dip, but not enough for a lot of people to get back in. And And tragically, People leave a lot of performance on the sidelines, whether we're in up markets, people go to cash, or down markets, people go to cash.
0: We've got an example that really tells this in real numbers.
1: Yeah, and this is just very clean cut. It's very simple. Uh, let's say we have Bill. He's an investor. Uh, in January of 2014, he, he was feeling the pressure. He was feeling the pressure. The market has done so well for five years now. And he was saying, this is going to come to an end at some point. So he went to cash. And and again, in real life, we saw this a lot. 2014, 2015, uh, there were a lot of people across this country that would go to cash, that did go to cash. Uh, but if we look from January of 2014 to February of 2021 the S&P 500 was up 112%. It was about 1800 January of 2014 and went to almost 4000 in February of 2021 112% gain. And if you look at in during that time frame so in 2014 Bill goes to cash when is he going to get back in because his thought process was this thing is going to come to an end it's going to go backwards. And if he thought that in January of 2014, but the market continues to go up and now it's 2015, the market's up even more, he's not going to change his mindset. He's not going to change his process, his thought process. 2016, it's not going to change. It just keeps going up. So there's no really good entry point. And he left 112% on the sidelines. So if his portfolio, Bill's portfolio in 2014 was 500,000, and if he would have been invested in the S&P 500 over that time frame, it would have doubled to over a million dollar portfolio which is, you know, he might not have been 100% equities in the S&P 500, but let's say he was 80-20. And then the point is he left a lot of gain on the table, and study after study shows that when investors make these types of decisions, they do leave a lot of gain on the table, just like in this example here with Bill.
0: So we're talking about the roller coaster. Just recently in Britain, a roller coaster gets stuck. The train cars get stuck on the way up. So you imagine if you will. Click. Click, oh click, gosh. click, click, stop. For, for the first five seconds, you might think, oh, this is part of the thrill of it all, right? Well, nope. They stopped the ride. The people had to walk down 200 feet. Oh. A woman took video of it. And the video alone gave me the heebie jeebies. She's but bless her heart, she's got the selfie side, and she's like, and her friends behind her. But then she pans around, and it's like these little teeny steps and this railway. I'm just thinking I would fall over. Everybody got off okay, but can you guys imagine it? I'm afraid of heights so no. no. That sounds terrifying. Right, I don't mind if I'm confined but if I ever even when I'm on like an escalator where I could just jump it's the it's it's a crazy feeling. And for some, the stock market is a crazy feeling. They just don't want to maybe be 100% or in or all the way in. So today, we've set up, I think, how the stock market can be effective, the ups and downs. But for some people, Lauren, you know this from sitting down, helping families retire for 20 years. They want an alternative. They want to do something different with at least part of their portfolio. So what we want to talk about next is if you don't want to ride the roller coaster of the stock market, what are some of the other options as you move to and through retirement? One of the options, Lauren, bonds.
1: Yeah. And especially for the majority of our audience who are pre-retirees and retirees, their their gambling days, as some people will put it, are over. You know, when they're 30 years old and they lose 30% of their portfolio, it's the 30% of their portfolio that is down. When they're 60 years old and they're two years away from retiring or they're already retired and they lose 30% of their portfolio, then it's their lifestyle that is taking a serious decline. Not only the lifestyle, but probably what is even worse is their confidence that they're going to be able to have enough money to live the lifestyle that they want to for the rest of their retirement. So there's some serious implications when their portfolio is reacting like the market in the pre-retirement and retirement days. So they are looking for these other alternatives outside of just equities. Equities is still a part of it. You use it as a growth machine. You have different buckets of your portfolio where you have your equity, your growth piece of it, but then you need some other buckets where it's more stable, it's more safe, and there's different intention, different purpose around it. Bonds is a piece of that. Molly, so you reference bonds. Uh, The benefit of bonds in most marketplaces is that when equities are not declining, or when equities are declining in a serious way, bonds typically are not. Um, That's not always the case. In 2008, over that 12-month period of time during that year, equities were down about 37%. Bonds were down about 19%. So still, about half is left, but it's still a serious decline for a uh, an investor who had a 60% equity, 40% bond portfolio. They still lost a lot of money. And if you're a pre-retiree and retiree, you don't want a 25% decline when you go through that type of an event. That's just not something you're interested in. So bonds historically can be a good diversifier and still has a really good role within the overall portfolio. But today... In in today's economy, today's market, retirees and pre-retirees are looking for something different besides just stocks and bonds.
0: And you said alternatives, and alternatives is actually number two on our list of things to consider if you're a little leery of the stock market. So alternatives, it's a big broad umbrella, Lauren, but generally speaking, what does it mean?
1: Yeah, it's a it's a huge umbrella and that's actually a benefit. It, what it means is something a little bit different for uh, each type of investor. It's different for different investors. These institutional investors, uh, these huge endowments, these huge foundations, what they have at their disposal as far as what to invest in from an alternative standpoint is significantly different than the average retiree and pre-retiree who might have one to five million dollars uh, in savings. So, So it's different for everybody, but the idea behind an alternative is some type of investment that is different than, that reacts differently than stocks and bonds. So we go through a 2008, we go through a March of 2020, you have your stocks that are getting killed, you have your bonds that are, that are not getting killed really, but they're not doing really well. And they're not offering you the protection that they used to back in the eighties and the nineties. So you have this other asset class that's broadly listed or defined as alternatives, and it can involve a Bunch of different things. It can be uh, life settlements. It can be music royalties. It can be uh, litigation finance, real estate. That there's a whole list of things that mean absolutely nothing to most people. Right. <laughs> but that's where that's where um, now with technology, the average investor, the average retiree can invest in these types of alternative asset classes without having all the expertise that, it, that is necessary or would have been necessary way back in the, in the 80s and 90s. I think the best story I have around alternatives uh, comes from David Swenson. David Swenson manages the Yale Foundation, has been one of the most successful foundations in this world, and what it, and he, he basically says this right on, his, on the Yale Foundation website. He says, their asset allocation for the Yale Foundation... Back in the '90s, was 90% stocks, domestic stocks and bonds, and 10% alternatives. He says where they're at right now, just flip that around. It's 10% 10 stocks and bonds in ninety percent alternatives. And if you look across the board at all of these different endowments and foundations, I mean these these endowments and foundations have billions of dollars. I think the Yale Foundation is at twenty nine billion. Wow. So they have all this capital that they can they can invest in anything they want to. And they choose to be highly, highly engaged in the alternative asset class. Uh, now David Swenson and the Yale Foundation is much higher allocated to Alternatives than most endowments. Most endowments are somewhere between forty to sixty percent uh, alternative investments, and then the rest of it is stocks and bonds.
0: And some of these alternatives, you can't even get into if you don't have a certain amount of money, right? They're yes. just for the like these big, uh, big foundations and yeah. big and big investors.
1: Yeah. So, as an example, uh, the Yale Foundation might own uh, a lot of different houses or apartment complexes on the Yale campus, right? So that is an alternative investment for them. They're collecting rents. Um, and it's an asset that could appreciate. So that's not something that the average investor is going to be investing directly, but they can have some kind of stake, some kind of ownership in that through some kind of ETF or a mutual fund that's uh, has assets that are in that specialty asset class. So as retail investors or retirees, uh, average retirees and, and, and uh, pre-retirees, you just have to look around. And that's part of what we do for our families is we allow that access to that alternative asset class to help create that portfolio that's not going to react in a way that you don't want it to react when this market reacts in a way that you don't want it to react.
0: And what is the risk level with alternatives? Um, We we can sort of understand because we know what the S&P is and, and how they have the numbers that go up and down when you're looking at alternatives, is there an index that you use to to help you decide the risk
1: level? Yeah, so from a risk standpoint, it's all over the board. It depends on the type of alternative that you use. So the alternative asset class, uh, the approach is very similar to what it would be if you're investing in equities, whereas you don't want a highly concentrated uh, alternative uh, position in your portfolio. You want to spread it around. You want to be diversified. So you might have a little bit in this alternative. You might have a little bit in this alternative. And really what it does if you do this successfully, what happens is whatever bucket, whatever amount is in your alternative bucket of your portfolio, and we go through a March of 2020 or 2008, that bucket is going to react completely differently, meaning that the S&P 500 might be down 30, 40%, and that bucket might actually be up a little bit, depending upon what type of alternatives you use in that asset class. But that's the whole point. There are some real alternatives out there. That don't react anything like the market that can level out the overall performance of your portfolio. So it's not that roller coaster. Most retirees, most pre retirees don't want that roller coaster ride anymore. They want something that's predictable. They want to beat inflation. They want to beat taxation. And they want to grow it a little bit on top of that and make sure that they can continue to win the game. Because most people put themselves in position at that point, or the families that we work with where they've already won the game. And they don't want to take too much risk where all they're doing is risking winning the game.
0: And if I sit down with you, and I I like this idea of having a a part of my portfolio that reacts differently than the stock market, are are we going to look at several of these and 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 I have to know I mean it just feels a little overwhelming when you say there's so many. So is the job of the retirement planner to understand the needs of the pre retiree retiree and then maybe say here's five that that we've researched or or know a lot about and then and narrow it
1: down? Yeah, and that's that's a part of the retirement plan or the investment piece of that retirement plan is it needs to be customized. So we never start with here's what you should be investing in. We get to know the families first, here's where they're at, here's what they're trying trying to accomplish, here's their business concerns. What is their appetite for risk? What's their appetite for the movement in their portfolio? And then it's our job to, to look through the universe of different investments, whether it's equities, it's bonds, it's, it's alternatives or whatever other types of asset classes make the most sense. And then say, here's what's going to accomplish what you're trying to accomplish within all of those parameters that we set together throughout our previous conversations. So,
0: alternatives to the stock market and the roller coaster ride. Another thing, Lauren, that is worth having a conversation about are fixed index annuities. And let's just look at annuities for just a second first before we talk about fixed index. Why do annuities get such a bad rap?
1: Most of the time, they are used for the wrong people in the wrong situation, and not all of the and not all of the details are thoroughly explained about annuities. So uh, let's take the variable annuity as an example. A variable annuities, I think 70% of advisors out there sell variable annuities. Uh, most of the people that we talk to who have variable annuities, they don't understand they're paying 3 to 5% every single year in fees. And once they figure that out, their uh, question to me is, why wasn't I told that? Well, they in, in all fairness, they might have been told that, but they may, might have forgot it because they were told a lot of other things as well. Or maybe that wasn't told to them. Uh, who knows? Because we weren't there. Uh, but most of the time, it is a surprise. And that, I mean, most people, uh, most investments, you should not have to pay in excess of 2%, let alone 3 to 5% every single year. So it's really expensive. Uh, also, most annuities have a surrender Time frame, Meaning that if you take your money out of that annuity within six years, seven years, 10 years, some of them even go up to 20 years, then you're going to pay a surrender penalty to get your money back. And a lot of people uh, maybe forgot about that when they bought it, or something happened in their life where they need more money than what they originally planned. And now to get to that money, they have to pay these high surrender fees to get out of it. So annuities have gotten a bad rap because most of the time, or a lot of time, they are used in the wrong situation for the wrong purpose. And this is why, especially in in retirement planning, with any investment you use, whether it's stocks, it's bonds, it's annuities, it's alternatives, you need to have a purpose around what it's trying to accomplish for you. And then you need a contingency plan in case of the what ifs, because we know in life what ifs always happened.
0: Yeah, you definitely wouldn't want to put the bulk of your portfolio into an annuity that you can't get to in five years without a surrender fee.
1: Yeah, and that's this goes back to we don't want all of our eggs in one basket. We don't want all of our eggs in any asset class, including annuities. Now, with fixed indexed annuities, uh, the difference there is for a lot of them, there aren't any fees to them. So instead of paying 3 to 5%, you're paying 0%, um, and there's still a surrender charge for most of them, Some most of them somewhere between 6 to 10 years, uh, but you structure it so you have plenty of liquidity. In today's market environment, I mean, one of the appeals of fixed index annuities to a lot of retirees is they're guaranteed. So they're backed by the full faith and credit of the insurance company, which means When the S&P 500 loses 40%, they get a 0% rate of return, and guess what, they are absolutely elated because they didn't lose any money on that piece of it. But when the market goes up, the S&P 500 goes up, or whatever underlying index they choose to use underneath that fixed index annuity, they make a portion of that up. So they get some upside potential of the markets, with no downside risk. And that is one of the big appeals to a fixed in- index annuity, not to mention the fact that many of them, if you structure it the right way, don't have any cost to them.
0: So when I hear no fees, of course, as an investor, I'm like, yay, no fees. But these companies clearly are have personnel. This isn't a volunteer work that the, the companies are doing. So they're making the money, what? Because you don't get all the upside of whatever investment they're in. You just get a portion of it. Then they take the rest of that upside and that's how they pay – You know, their overhead and their costs.
1: Essentially, when you invest in a fixed index annuity, you are transitioning the risk to that insurance company. So they take your money. Let's say it's $100,000 you invest in this fixed index annuity. The insurance company takes the money and they are investing that $100,000. If it's a 10-year surrender charge, then they're counting on having that money for the next 10 years that they can make a profit on. So they're largely investing that money in corporate bonds. Uh, They are also using indexes or using the futures uh, market for a small piece of that money to get a little extra pop or growth on that money as well. Uh, And they're also using uh, government treasuries. So they they are diversified in their approach. Their main concern is they want to make sure that they can fulfill their promise, their guarantee of making sure you don't lose any money. And that after that 10-year period of time, you get at least all of your money back, plus any of the the growth that you share. So, yeah, that's how they're making money. Uh, It's also, to make this even more simple, it's a lot like if you invest in a CD at a bank. You invest $100,000 at the bank, they're not charging you a fee most of the time, but they're they're giving you 1%, and then they're going out and loaning it to somebody buying a car, and they're charging them 5%, and then they make the spread. So okay. it's a very yeah. similar uh, concept as what the bank does.
0: Back to the fixed index annuity, talking about how it's an alternative to the stock market. As, as far as the investment side of it goes, Lauren, can I expect to make then a little bit less than I would in the stock market?
1: Over most periods, yes. Uh, your goal in investing in the fixed index annuity is diversification. So you don't have all of your money in the markets. You don't have all of your money in the alternatives. And, and this could be classified as an alternative all by, all in its own right. But your cons your goal of investing in a fixed index annuity is having safety of principle, and then you want to beat the banks. I mean, if the banks are giving you one, you want to beat the banks on this safe money. So look at all of your other safe money alternatives – and look at what you could get from those safe money alternatives, and you're trying to beat those. So, in a fixed index annuity over a ten year period of time, if you average four to six percent, that's what you're trying to accomplish with that type of portfolio.
0: And if I die, is it my fixed index annuity? Does it? What happens to the principal? What happens to the remaining money?
1: The the way that we stretch from it's always your money. So it's always your money. You can use it while you're alive. Anything that's left over, you pass you pass away, it goes to your beneficiaries.
0: What about when I wanna turn it on as income when the fixed dexinity I want to start using it as income. What's that process like?
1: There's a lot of different types of fixed fixed index annuities. So there's some that you can put some income riders on them, then it would come with a fee that rider would. And then you can turn that income on for guaranteed income. There are a lot of families that enjoy that. Basically, it's like a personal pension. So there's only about 14% of America has a corporate pension available to them. So that other 85% is saying, hey, I want one of those. I want that guaranteed income to supplement my social security guaranteed income. And then that would be where a fixed index annuity with an income rider can come into play and basically create a personal pension for yourself provides extra guaranteed income for as long as you're alive. That's an option. Uh, There's also fixed index annuities where you're not going to take an income in, in that fashion. Uh, A lot of the ways or or what we use some of the fixed index annuities for is a dollar cost averaging strategy. So take a 2008 when the market takes a big dive, you didn't lose any money on that fixed index annuity. So most of them, you can take 10% of that account value out within the first 10 years. So what we'll do is we'll take that 10% out. You didn't lose anything on it. You'll put it back into the market at a discount. So you're buying in low and the market comes back up. You're making a lot of money on that money you didn't lose anything on. And so uh, 2020, we spent a lot of time doing that, taking that 10% free withdrawal, didn't lose anything on it, put it back into the market, and the rest of the year people made a ton of money on that otherwise safe money.
0: I like making a ton of money. Rochelle, you like that idea? Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) So what we've learned, I think, as we talk about all these alternatives to the stock market, it's specific to your situation. It's specific to your needs and your retirement goals. So a great way to talk about your specific situation is to talk directly with a retirement planner here's a complimentary opportunity. It's our 15 minute retirement checkup call. You can go to Merkelplan.com right now. That's M E R K L E plan.com and schedule a 15 minute retirement checkup call. Talk about your specific situation and how you can meet your retirement goals. We'll continue talking about all of the aspects of retirement on this podcast. It's retiring today. And we thank you for listening. So I was gonna try to make like a hands up. Now I never have put my hands up in my whole life. Really? There's no no chance. Oh my gosh, no way. You when you're tall too, you think your arms are gonna hit oh, something. Yeah. I'm always ducking in roller coasters. This is like my life story, and I'm not even that crazy <laughs> tall. Like, can imagine me like six eight or something?